Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh this is your your host Bunch for today and um we are go- we are uh, recapping Roland Garros 2021 and it was it's been quite a clay court season and the grass season is just around the corner and to help me unpack all of it is a good friend of the podcast by now and you listeners know him quite well he's the uh author of the famous book uh, Pete Sampras Greatness Revisited and he's a regular uh, writer for tennis.com and we know him on the show as Steve Flink Steve this is always a great pleasure to to have these discussions after every major and it seems like the listeners really enjoy it from what i can tell and i think we'll have a blast again yeah i think so too bunch i always enjoy coming on with you because you know you 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 pay careful attention to detail and you know what you're watching so looking forward to our talk awesome so i guess um we could start with the main story of this tournament which is of course the historical implications of uh Novak Djokovic finally achieving uh you know his second French Open I think we spoke after the Australian Open uh the last time and that was a remarkable achievement from himself given the given uh all he went through in that tournament with the abdominal injury and then coming out of that and then you know I'd say a decent clay court season and he found his form together in that uh in Rome he got to the finals and he pushed Nadal there and then obviously we have this great um tournament here with him coming back from two sets to love down twice to win a major and I don't you can correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think that's ever happened in the open era before I I heard uh, that it happened in the 1940s so it's been a really long time yeah it happened in 49 Ted Schroeder an American player did it at Wimbledon and that just shows you how how difficult difficult it is to achieve and it happened maybe once or twice before that uh but that's it and uh Djokovic should be very proud of that achievement as well as becoming the first man in the open era to win at least two of every major championship and you know, Rod Laver uh, split his up between the amateur years when he won the Grand Slam at 62 and then when he came back and won the Grand Slam at 69 and then Roy Emerson did his in the, in the 60s he won them all at least twice but again that was in the 60s pre-open era So that shows you how hard it is to to replicate what Djokovic did in finally winning his second French Open title and very deservedly so in the end. Yeah, absolutely and you know it didn't come easy right from the fourth round he's down two sets to love against a really good Italian player Lorenzo Musetti and you know yeah, let's all kinds of Bunch, let me just stop you there if you don't mind. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. It, to me, I'm very curious to get your views. It was a very mm. strange match to me it, in the sense that I thought Djokovic had control in the first set. He was up 3-1, 40-15. Mm-hmm. Let that service game get away. Had a couple more game points even from after Deuce. And then similar in the tiebreak. He was up 4-1 in the tiebreak, which he eventually lost. So I thought he really put himself in a tough spot that didn't need to be there. And he would have relaxed a lot sooner. If he would have tucked that set away and then in the second set he went down a break got it back got it into the tiebreak and just played it by his standards a terrible tiebreak mm. now granted you said he all along mixing things up slice backhands you know loopers uh, explosive forehands he played he played a really smart match and kind of went for broke and pulled it off and was very inspired so yes he but i did feel a lot of this had to do with the tightness of Djokovic And then of course he leaves the court and takes that bathroom break and comes back and gets the you know just ripped through him those last three sets you know barely losing points and uh mm-hmm. that that to me was very it was very impressive the way he and I thought you said he could have stayed on the court and played those last two games I was a little surprised that he I mean he said he didn't think he could move anymore but I think he was also just a bit shell-shocked and Djokovic once he lifted his game then you, he then exposed me said he's lack of fitness whatever was going on with him with the minor cramping that he described or 
little bit of lower back issue, issues, but uh, Djokovic responded very well to what was definitely a crisis and somewhat of his own making because the first set should have belonged to him. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think the second set tiebreak really shocked me because that's where I really expected that Djokovic would, uh, you know, find another gear and, um, especially, I think I've seen a pattern with him on on clay, and actually in most of his majors, he's never won a major without dropping a set. And I always kind of feel like those tests in the fourth and fourth round or third round and quarterfinals, those kind of spur him on, and he he, need, he almost needs to be down or like lose a set or like lose a couple of sets to find his footing again. And you're right, I think uh, you know Musetti was doing a great job mixing things up, and we you know we've seen uh, you know some one-handed backhand players over the years at. Roland Garros since 2006. I mean, you can go all the way back to Cole Schreiber in 2009 and team did it twice. And he's obviously had his good share of wins as well. He beat Roger in 2012. He beat a team again in 2016. And yeah, so, so I kind of felt like. It's a pass. He's now six and two. So yes, it's yeah. a challenge, not one that he can't overcome, but it is. But the, it, it is and you know, people talk about Stan Vavrinka, but he's got a big career yeah. edge. Stan, despite losing to him in the Roland Garros final in 15 and again in the 16 U.S. Open final, even in the Aussie quarters once as well right. back in 14. So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing with this, with, with the, with the one-handers and, and it is more of an adjustment for him. He's definitely more comfortable against the two-handers, but I didn't think it was just strictly that Musetti had a one-handed backhand. Yeah. I, I heard him interviewed a couple of days before on tennis channel and he said, well, he's going to go, you said he's going to go for broke. I've practiced with him. I haven't played him. He'll go for, but he's got nothing to lose. Right. And that's interesting. Rather than say, you know, I, I, I'm hoping to call on my experience and I'm going to, I, I'm, I want to start that match strong and build a lead and let him know that, uh, you know, I'm the guy to be. He sounded apprehensive, oddly. And, and it, it showed in the way that he played that first set. On yeah. the other hand, the way he picked it up and demoralized this kid from early in the third set on was very, very impressive. And yes, I, I agree with you that it, he ended up being almost oddly happy to have been through the experience. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to the next one though. I think the next one against Berrettini really irritated him because he, he was, he saved break points in three different service games in the first set. And then from thereafter, he wasn't facing any break points at all. So he wins the first set. With with the with the one break, then he then he gets he he really gets on top of him in the second and wins it six two, and you thought you know maybe he can run this out in straight. Now Berrettini served really well in that third, very big, and found his range off the forehand. So I fully understand why Berrettini got it into a tiebreak, kept holding his serve throughout the third. That again was a, a nervous juncture for for Djokovic, who served at five four with a chance to close it. Yeah, that was. And, really, really glaring unforced error off the forehand where he just yeah. de- decelerated, as they say. He just choked. And yeah. then the five hated it off the back end. Both times he got the first serve in. Both times he got mid-court returns that he should have been able to take advantage of. And both times he missed. And I think he was very upset with himself for not – I think he knew that could have been a straight set win. And then the crowd ended up leaving early in the fourth. They had It was curfew. So there was that delay, which wasn't mm-hmm. all bad for because he was able to go to the locker room and change his shirt. And, but then I think he was irritated that he wasn't taking advantage of some breakpoint opportunities along the way in the fourth before he finally broke him in the last game. And much was made of the fact that right near the end, Vontree had that, he sort of let loose verbally, not, not cursing, just yelling to sort of as a vent, as a release, mm-hmm. uh, like he was yelling to his corner. And then did the same thing after he got the break and, and finished off the match 7-5 in the fourth. And a lot of some people were critical of him. I didn't think it was that awful. Yeah. I thought it was same here. You know, he, you know, he's such a he is who he is in the sense that he he's so real that way. You know, he, you kind of there's no guessing how he's feeling. He, he lets you know most of the time. Now there are times mm-hmm. he can take, but a, a lot of times he really wants to release that rage, and that's what was going on there. Uh, and Berrettini ended up, you know, I think Djokovic had to be happy he didn't let it go to a fifth. But he also was unhappy that he didn't put him away in the tiebreak and the third conservative a little energy and not have to go to a 7-5-4 set, which was pretty tense. Yeah. But good effort for Berrettini. The last two sets, he played really well, much better than he had the first two sets. So he was holding his serve and, and keeping Djokovic you know, at arm's length until Novak finally broke him in that last game. So 
So that again was not an easy match heading into the semi with Nadal. I'll let you set up set up the Nadal semifinal, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I agree with you on the on the Berrettini match. I think he was really frustrated to have let that third set breaker go with that five four advantage and those two easy simple mistakes. You just don't see him don't see him make, and then obviously no, the crowd leaves. And you know what? He had nineteen unforced errors that whole match in, yeah. in four. Four sets, the last two being seven, six, seven, five, 19 entire match, two of them back to back at a critical moment. Mm-hmm. So it just showed you he yeah. wasn't giving anything away that match except he wanted to get it over with. He just suddenly got very conscious of the score in a way that, you know, you, you, you think of the many times that, that he's been just the opposite, where he just plays every point and there's no pressure that's overbearing, that's unbearable for him. But yeah. in this case, in this case, he, he got tight, no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of when he, uh, in 2020, when he played Tsitsipas and he won those two sets very comfortably. And then he, he had a chance and he served for the match and he missed this backhand wide and he would have won it 3 2 and match 4. Point. And uh, down yeah. the line, match point. That was upsetting too. Yes, absolutely. And then he started squandering all kinds of opportunities to break in the fourth set and the fourth set got away. And finally, he yeah. put him away. So and I think you know, he was he was quite happy that it didn't go to a fourth set tiebreak because I think you know had had that been the case I think he would have he would have felt it e- even more so I can understand that release at the at the end you know when he's kind of letting it all out because he went through he he went through a lot he had to withstand you know that yeah, garage for Berrettini because having gotten so apprehensive in the third set tiebreak yeah it could have been a bit nerve wracking if he hadn't built a lead in the fourth set tiebreak and absolutely but I agree with the comparison to Tsitsipas last year, which, by the way, I think for a variety of reasons, we normally see him uh, recuperate beautifully after long semis. That was one of the times I didn't think he did. Uh, We'll never know how much of that was physical and how much was mental in the final against Nadal in 2020, but he he did not have it physically or mentally that day. And hence, he lost love two and five to a top of the line Rafa. Uh, and I do believe that maybe it was a bit of a carryover, not just the physical part, but the kind of emotional aggravation he went through in putting Sitsipas away in that semi last year. Yeah. So Good interesting point. to reflect on that. Yeah. And then on uh, from Rafa's end, you know, I mean, he was he almost lost a set to Popperin in the first round. And I thought he was, yeah. you know, I thought he was he, he was he was starting to find his form against Sinner and especially the last two sets against uh, Schwartzman. He had a, he was in a spot of a father in the third set. Until no, about four three, and then he just reeled off nine straight games, and I thought, okay, this is like he's in you know good preparation here. He's played Sinner again, he's played Schwartzman again. It's a perfect setup, just like last year. And you true, know, so but, I, he, but you mentioned you, you mentioned Popper, and there are two set points for Popper in the third set. One of them he double faults, and the other he hit an overhead about yeah. almost into the fence. So Rafa should have lost the third set there. Sinner yeah. served the first set just like he did a year ago in the quarterfinals in the round of sixteen this time. And he played a pretty bad game, and and uh, he might have been having pr- trouble with his contact. I, I I don't know what was going on with him. He didn't. He 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 did not play a good game. Yeah. And so uh, it's true. There, so there were vulnerable moments for Rafa. But as you said, after losing the second set to Schwartzman, going down three four on serving the third, he just ran out the last nine games, and he was he was really uh, swinging freely off his forehand in the fourth mm-hmm. set, or after another, he looked as happy as he had at, at any stage of the tournament to finish off the match in such a spectacular fashion. So no yeah. doubt you thought that was carrying him in to the Djokovic match in the right frame of mind. And frankly, I think it did. I think it yeah. did. I think it contributed to the strong start that Rafa made to go up five, love in the first, but that's where I think Djokovic won the match, frankly, yeah. coming back in the first set, making it competitive, saving all those set points, and and uh, getting it back to five three, and even in that five three game, Rafa had forty love, and Novak got it back to Deuce. And so mm-hmm. he made him. It, they both started the second set with a kind of a different feeling about where this match was going. And yeah, Rafa I- was sure of himself, and Novak was definitely feeling better. The weird part to me, Vanch, was that in those first five games, it was so eerily similar to last year's final mm-hmm. in the set wasn't that Novak didn't have chances, but he wasn't closing out the games. Two break points on Rafa in the first game, not his fault because Rafa served a, hit a service winner and an ace. There wasn't much he could have done about that. But then 40-15 on his own serve, and the next thing you know, he's lost his serve and he's down five love. And I felt like this is way too similar to last year. It's the one thing I thought he would definitely avoid 
but at least he was able to dig in and make Rafa work very hard. And it wasn't the physical effort that Rafa had to put in, but I think it was the mental anguish of not, he and Matt, Rafa felt in his mind that it should have been a six love, six one, at worst, six two set. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it turned out to be. So I just think yeah. uh, that did Djokovic a world of good as he settled into the match. And then uh, that was an interesting second set because Novak had the early break. Rafa got it back. Novak got a second break and then had to work exceedingly hard to get through those last couple of service games in the second set. Rafa really pushed hard to break back again, and Novak wouldn't let him have it. And then we moved on, we moved on to that gem of a third set. Now I'd like to get your view. There's been so much debate, Vonch, about that match versus that set. I'm of the opinion that it was a phenomenal one of the they probably I would say it was the best set they've ever played against each other. Mm-hmm. All things considered, we could find some that were pretty darn close, like Wimbledon 2018 or Australia 2012. Certain sets within matches that were pretty darn close to this in caliber. But I'd say mm-hmm. all things considered, it was their best set. But I don't understand. I was I was very surprised at how many notable people in tennis and authorities were 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 wanted to put this into the class of an epic. And I don't believe yeah. that because I think the first set was they both were tight at different stages. Novak in the beginning, Rafa at the end. Then the second set was well played, but not necessarily that extraordinary. A very good set. Third set, magnificent. Fourth set, Djokovic is down to love and wins the last six games at the cost of six points. It played beautifully, but Rafa faded. So to yeah. me, I just can't, I just see it as a, as a, it was a great match. It was a, it was a beautifully played match in many respects, but I don't think you can have two sets like that out of the four. A third one that you would call very good but not great, and then one just gem of a set. So I see that's how I saw the match. But were you surprised by the number of people that were uh, upgrading it to an epic? I was really surprised because I, th- I thought they were victim to recency bias. You know, I saw I saw several tweets and I saw several, uh, you know, even professional tennis players um you know, in awe of that third set, but they were t- kind of talking about the match as a whole. And I didn't agree with right. that at all because I felt like, uh, you know, like you said, the three out of the four sets were, you know, especially the, the second set I felt like was, was a pretty decent set. And the, and yeah. the third set was an absolute gem. I, I think it's the best set they've ever played in their 58, 58 matches. Now the two that come close to me, uh, the, in my opinion, is the 2011 US Open, the third set they played there. That was a really great set. And then also the 2018 Wimbledon semifinal that, that third set, but the difference is in, in that match, I think that was their, that, that was a gem of a match in general. You know, I mean, all five sets were, yeah. were brilliant there. So I agree with you. I, I, that, that was critical to the outcome that Djokovic was able to walk off that night up two sets to one, having saved set points in that third set tiebreak with great uh, poise under pressure. And that was frustrating for Rafa to think back, I'm sure, on the set points and know that he could have been up two sets to one, which is quite similar to this French semi. Yeah. Uh, because Rafa had a set point prior to the prior to the tiebreak with Novak serving at five six. The third set that you mentioned in the 2011 U.S. Open final, I know Rafa would agree with you because he'd been beaten very soundly the first two sets, and he worked hard and raised his level and squeezed out the third set. And then Novak ended up running away with the fourth eventually, but it meant a lot to Rafa going forward that he had taken that set. He he took it as a real positive that he found a way to get to salvage that one set, uh, and he used it. And then, of course, that carried him into a near victory against Novak in Australia the following uh, January, or uh, you know, in, in that epic final. So interesting yeah. that you bring that one up. But I'd say it's a fair assessment, and it's also giving one, one, one to each. <laughs> Novak, yeah. Novak at Rafa at the Open, but fair. But I still would say this one was better than either of those. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think this was by, better than... decent margin. By a decent margin, too. Yeah, if we want, let's we can just start by uh, you know really thinking that set because I think you know you know right away from three two there was this one break point that was a gem of a point and it ended with a you know forehand inside out winner by Djokovic. Yeah. And I believe at this point he was up a break three two, and it was yes. you know Nadal had a break point to uh, get back on serve. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that was a beauty, and uh, yeah, you're right. I would I would also. I would also cite that particular game forward as the best tennis of the set. Yeah. And Novak managed to, to extend that lead to five, three, and then served it the, for the set at five, four, that, 
that to me was a really crucial moment in the match because he played two excellent points. Well, yeah, particularly the first point where he outmaneuvered Rafa at the net and put away a volley into the open court. And then Rafa missed a forehand down the line long. So it's 30 love. Yeah, I was Novak, surprised by the 30 love point because I felt like Djokovic like, had an easy forehand and he could have... Easy, easy forehand. The serve down the tee, Rafa's return not deep. Novak didn't hit it terribly. He hit the net tape, but he was tentative. He yeah. was definitely tentative in the way he struck that. And he wasn't necessarily going to hit a winner, but he was going to be in total control of the point with Rafa on the run and likely to go to 40 love and tuck that set away. And then, of course, Rafa ended up hitting a couple of winners and then forcing an error off Novak's back end with a vicious topspin up high to the two-hander. And so suddenly it's five all. But the fun wasn't over because yeah. five all game, Rafa not put away a bounce smash and a forehand down the line winner to save break points. And he yeah. holds. And then, of course, for, for Djokovic, even more important moment in the match than squandering the 5-4-30 level lead was saving the set point at 5-6 because it would have yep. been demoralizing uh, from the position he'd been in and having served for the set to actually lose at 7-5. But I thought he was incredibly calm during that point. Rafa didn't do a, uh, didn't really hit a great return off the second serve, but it wasn't a bad one. And they were neutral. And suddenly Novak found that opening you know, in that rally to hit the back end drop down the line, which was to perfection. And Rafa beautiful, got beautiful shot. Yeah, Rafa had no way to get that back. He tried to slide it down the line. It was in the alley. It wasn't close. And Novak yeah. holds on. And we go to the tiebreak. So I don't, I don't know what you thought about the um, the conditions because I felt like even though the conditions were slower and it was lower bouncing and it was cooler and it was at night, which, uh, which by the way, I was uh, a little bit critical of that initially because I felt like they could have started the first semi, you know, sooner. Like they started that at 3 p.m. Uh, France time. And I was, I was like, you know, why not start that at 2 or 1? But, oh, one uh, start at one. They should. Yeah, I, uh, but that's just the way it is. Uh, but, but even I, given even given all that, I, I still felt like uh, Nadal's topspin was bouncing pretty pretty high, and Djokovic was having to hit a lot of backhands up high, and his his forehand down the line was clicking in full gear. So forehand, I felt down, like, forehand down the line was about as good as I've ever seen it. And you're absolutely right. His for his, his heavy topspin was still bounding up high. Yeah. I I think Raf is very interesting about that. I know he knows what he likes best. On the other hand, look at the conditions last year in the final when he when he obliterated right. Novak. But it's not like and many other matches where conditions haven't necessarily been ideal. But he's still on clay. It's still mm-hmm. hit Rafa on clay at Roland Garros. He can't ask for much more than that. I'm surprised that he allows it to get in his head as much as it does because he did yeah. comment on them after the match and and he did it in a very nice way. Not to say I would have beaten this guy if it hadn't have been for this. Just to say that he would he would have liked warmer uh, conditions and, and obviously would have liked to have played earlier. But I, I agree yeah. with you. I still think his game and his forehand were extremely effective in those conditions and that Novak really had to be sharp. What I, found, what I also found interesting was two things. Number one, that Djokovic, how well he played the cross-court forehand with yeah. a little extra Rafa off the court, number one. And number two, how much Rafa made Novak pay if Novak didn't lace the two-hander cross-court with great depth. And that's why Rafa was able to hit so many down-the-line winners. I'm not yeah. blaming Novak for that. I'm saying Rafa was very bold at saying, okay, you haven't done enough with this two-hander. I'm going to rip it down the line. And and the, his rate of success with that shot was just extraordinary. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about the forehand because I noticed that he was putting a lot more spin on it. He was sliding away from Rafa and he was having to sometimes counter that and he, lo- he looked befuddled on how to counter that in my opinion because he either has two options he can either you know loop it up high and kind of get it high to Djokovic's backhand and then he can unleash the forehand down the line or he can just straight go for a winner and but the thing is he's pushed like eight feet you know to the left and so I think it's oh, exactly, I think it's exactly. extraordinarily difficult and, and Djokovic made that adjustment so well because I mean no, it, and you was, know what? it was happening in the first five games uh, five games as well but I think yeah like you said like getting back and forcing, uh, that was such a key because I did feel like even though he went down five love, uh, he was hitting the ball a lot better. And I just well, felt he like felt he... That, yeah, he felt that way. Here's what I'll say about your comment. It's, it's, you think of the number of matches in the last three or four years when Rafa's improved two-hander. And mm-hmm. it's not when he's pulled really wide off the court. It's guys trying to hit with depth or guys leaving the ball a little short. And then he steps in, flattens it out and laces it cross court. Yeah. Novak did not want to allow him to do that. And you're right. 
then Rafa in turn was very, uh, it was in, he was kind of confused on how he was, how he could counter the, the cross court foreign and Novak. And that, that option of going deep down the line, it was difficult from that position. I think he was afraid of missing a few of those. That's a tough shot from off the court. Yeah. So he, he was a little trapped at certain, there was no doubt he was trapped at certain times and, 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 and he didn't really have an answer to that tactic of Novak's. Fascinating. Fascinating. But then we go to the tiebreak. And this is where it gets really, really interesting because Nadal starts it off with a double fault. And uh, and so I felt like that would be costly. But then in turn, they they, they played a few great points. They got to three all. And then at yeah. three all, you know, that forehand uh, cross-court winner that Djokovic comes up with and kind of wrong-foots Nadal. Yeah, um, now because Jim Courier said on the on our on the tennis channel commentary he wasn't sure if Novak really meant it to be a, quite at that angle i think he did mean it because he'd been working they'd been kind of fencing with each other and rafa hit a couple of good cross courts to make uh, novak stretch on the forehand and finally novak had the just the forehand he wanted and i think he absolutely meant to hit that angle we'll never know but it was a, just a beautiful shot that put him up four three that led to the surprising forehand volley era of Rafa. But here's my take on that that not many yeah. people are talking about. Novak, Rafa had drawn Novak in, who hit a very good approach and, and then mm. had the forehand, high forehand volley on the yep. stretch. But I thought he was going to be able to put it away. It wasn't easy, but I thought he would put it away. He didn't. He wasn't able to get quite enough on it. And that meant Rafa now took the net away from Novak and slices back in down the line and came in on the deep on the Djokovic backhand and Djokovic couldn't do much with the pass whereupon Rafa had the court open and blew that volley. I think it was a kind of the frenzy of that point. Rafa, mm -hmm. if you read his quote afterwards about things that were happening, I think that's kind of what he meant was that was a, was a very unusual point where Djokovic has been at the net first and Rafa uh, takes it away from him and he comes in and looks like he's in command, but he, he was, un he was still a little uncomfortable from all the, all that had preceded it. Yeah, um, that's a good take because I I also felt like Djokovic could have finished that point earlier, and I think Rafa was kind of surprised that oh wow I'm I'm still in it and I have this volley and you yeah know, exactly. just quick quick no, reactions I think, and I think Rafa thought Novak would put that forehand volley away and he was yeah. pleasantly surprised that he could track it down and and get into that himself. But obviously that was a critical point. Having said that. Again, what people leave out is that Rafa, who you think might be a bit perturbed by that, follows up with a perfect forehand drop shot winner down the line of a pretty decent return down the middle from Djokovic. So suddenly that blew my socks away because I was just like, I, I, I was absolutely stunned that he had the guts to go for it. And then he, oh, he executed, he, executed it brilliantly. It was like, now it's five, four Novak. And interestingly on that five, four point, he originally yeah. serving wide to wide to uh, Rafa's forehand. It's a let. And then just through fate, he now decides I can't, I can't go back to the wide serve. I'm going down the tee. He goes down the tee and he aces him. That was a clutch move from Novak. Mm -hmm. And then I also thought Djokovic played the last point beautifully when he got yeah. to Rafa's little backhand cross-court drop and slid it deep down the line. He didn't try to do too much with it, but he kept it low and deep. Rafa had absolutely no play on the passing shot. So I, it was a nice ending after the, those points that followed Rafa's forehand volley era were, were terrific. Yeah, I was a little bit critical, though, of him going to the drop shot at 6-4 because I just felt like, you know, to go for that again from that position is a bit... And, and I and you know, Djokovic anticipated it beautifully and he got there. He yeah. started deep down the... It was surprising, it, but it wasn't, said, it wasn't a terrible drop either because Novak yeah. had to make that pretty low. He still had to dig it out some and, and go over the high part of the net and hit it well, and he did. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a bit yeah. of a surprise shot. Rafa, at that point, is a little, little desperate, though. Uh, yeah. You know, he's double set point he's not in an easy spot but uh, but it was just a it was just a beautifully played set from both yeah. and I thought there was maybe a certain inevitability we don't see Rafa necessarily fade that way in a four set very often but that was a killer 91 minute set that was inevitably going to going to be deflating deeply deflating to whoever lost it yeah, so so my thoughts at, at that point when that third set was over, I was like, this is huge for Djokovic, but I still felt like Nadal, if he gets an early break in the fourth set, could could come back and it could be could could be like a 2018 semifinal situation. But yeah. I, I did also think like Djokovic had chances again to win the first two games and he didn't. He was 30 love. He had absolutely he had 30, 30 love and then love, 30 love and then love 30 and then love in the 30. Second. So but, uh, but he then of course from there he 
it was a blitz. It was six yeah. more points lost. And he and as he said himself, interestingly enough, because I thought that John McEnroe, maybe he got a little, I thought he got a bit confused in one sense. He kept saying that Djokovic, talking about how Djokovic thought he served well. Djokovic didn't think he served well until that fourth set from a breakdown. Then he started finding the corners and winning some much easier points. And he was very happy with how he served those last, say, four service games uh, in, in the four set. But until then, he felt like he was going to get more free points and didn't. And a lot of times when he was going for the so going for an ace, not necessarily at a thundering pace, but going down the tee, he'd miss it by an inch or two wide in the ad court. He, he, he hadn't been the beneficiary of too many free points, as, as many as he would have liked. But boy, that, that rest of the match from a breakdown in the fourth, the serve was really in sync. Yeah, I, I felt the same way that it was just the fourth set that I felt like his serve totally clicked into gear. Because I also think he, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't serving brilliantly in the first three sets. I mean, Occasionally no. he was, but I also felt like his second serve speed was down and he was a bit, and, and in turn, I kind of felt like Nadal should have done, it's not his natural tendency, I feel like, to attack those second serves, but I felt like he could have, he could have exerted a little bit more pressure and he, he's sometimes too far back, but, you know, like sometimes 80, 83, 84 mile per hour second serves and he wasn't, he wasn't doing that right away, but still he got into the points brilliantly and he had his chances to win that third set. Of course, of course, a lot of those 83, 84s that you mentioned are hit with fairly, fairly heavy kick. They're not necessarily that easy to devour. Now, some would probably argue that Rafa could have hit a deeper return when he had mm-hmm. Djokovic that point down on the second serve return. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was hit badly and it was cross court and didn't get him in any trouble at all. It wasn't the kind of shot where no. Novak could step in and, and do too much with it himself. So, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know that you're you're absolutely right. It's not his natural inclination to go mm-hmm. after second returns really aggressively. He's gotten much better at keeping at, at hitting them deep, but he doesn't really. He's not going to hit them the way Djokovic does. I mean, right. take it really early and deep down the middle, and uh, have you force you into an error immediately. So yeah. it's a different different philosophy. Different philosophy, and I don't think that's why he 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 lost the match for sure. And same thing with the set point. I just give Djokovic full full applaud for that because yeah, I do you know, too. I, and, I, and 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 the last six games, I also felt like uh, Nadal faded a bit physically, and for sure, it's it, yeah. it's kind of been a pattern because in at, in, in Australian Open, it was kind of the same. Of course, he had the issues with his back, and then those errors in the third set tiebreak and and yeah. stuff like that. But then um, you know now it seems like, and obviously we know now he's pulled out of Wimbledon, he's pulled out put, pulled out of the Olympics, yeah. and uh, you know he called the trainer for a foot thing he didn't get a medical timeout or anything like that but it just kind of felt like physically he he was kind of you know just depleted and you know you look at Djokovic and it, it didn't feel that way so it's well, look at, I think what leave what he was trying to say with his social media message when he pulled out of Wimbledon and the Olympics was that ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What took its toll was not just Roland Garros. It was all the tournaments that he played, mm-hmm. starting with Monte Carlo and the loss to Rublev there. And then he wins Barcelona, but from match point down against Tsitsipas in a brutal physical match. Yeah. And then, then he loses in the quarters of Madrid to Zarev, okay. But then that week in Rome was very tough with a, with a really excruciatingly close match with Shapovalov and Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has to keep working hard all the way through the finals when he beats Novak in three. So he really had a that was a, also a very draining week. 
And yeah. I think that all caught up with him. I think that's what he was trying to say. Because Roland Garris, if you look at those matches, you know, it, it, he was winning in straight sets. And, and finally, Schwartzman got, took that set. But then he ran away with a four. So even that didn't turn into too long or too strenuous a contest. I think it was it had to have been everything that led up to Roland Garros. And it wasn't easy for him to claim the two titles that he won. Mm. Yeah, especially those if those two points go a different way, he doesn't have any titles coming right, in. So, right. So I agree yeah. with you on the on on that. And you know, hopefully now we'll see him back at the US Open and he's won that four times. And uh, you know, I think it's it's smart for him to pull out of the I wasn't expecting him to play Wimbledon, and I think it's smart that he also pulled out of Tokyo. Yeah, so, I, I absolutely unfortunately for Rafa in his case, at least he's got his gold medal from 08. So, yeah. you know, he doesn't have to ever have any regrets about that. And He'd love to have added to it, but he has his. It's a tougher decision for Djokovic and for Federer because Roger's got his gold in doubles, but he really wants one for singles, and it's a long shot. And then Novak had the disappointment of losing to Delpo the last time around in 16 when he may have thought he was going to win it. And he'll have a tough decision, Djokovic will, Vonch, if he wins Wimbledon, has three legs of the Grand Slam, and then his face was going to the Olympics before coming back to play the U S open. I think that that's a, that's a tall order. Yep. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see what he, what he decides with that. I tended to think that he, he will play the Olympics no matter what, but I also think that could change if he wins Wimbledon. I think he might rethink that. He, he might rethink that decision. Um, yeah, he will. I, I, I don't see how you, you can be, you can have that third one and ha- and yeah. be one tournament away from the grand slam and think that you're going to have the energy to go to the Olympics, which is emotionally draining as well as physically. Yeah. And then back a few weeks later in New York, it's, it's, it's asking too much of himself. And as much as he would regret not getting that gold, I think I have to believe that the larger priority would be winning the U S open and, and having yeah. a grand slam if he could get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess before we, before we talk about the final, I do kind of want to mention um, the trio of players that I, kind of called the small three now with the uh, Sitsipas and Medvedev and Zverev kind of next in line. And of course you can, you can add team to that when he's, he's healthy and in better form, but um curious to hear your thoughts firstly on Sitsipas and his great clay court season and his run to the, to the final. And also the, you know, the first semi that happened with, with Zverev, because I, you know, if oh. we just talk about Zverev really quickly, I think uh, he's improved in some areas and in some areas he still gets a little bit tight. He's solved the problem of, you know, not going, you know, five sets every round and early on. And you can see in his last, whatever, four or five major results, he's been consistently at least getting to the quarters and semis, but then it's those tight moments. And like in Australia, in those last two sets against Djokovic, and obviously the chances here in the fifth, where he comes up against these top 10 players and he's now 0 for 10 against uh, top 10 players in, in, in majors, but he's, he has, he's also improved in, you know, getting, getting to that point and he's putting himself in, in good positions, but he's just not, not, not closing when he, when he needs to. And of course the, the first two sets weren't great from him. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I think it was difficult in Australia. Djokovic played, played some, some awfully good tennis in those last couple of sets to yeah. take away Zarev's leads, but you're right. Uh, overall against these top 10 guys, he's not doing it. And what made this loss disappointing for him was he's down two sets. He had a bad stretch of losing seven games in a row starting in the second set into early in the third. And then he pulled himself together and he played two really good sets to push uh, Sitsipas into a fifth and then he had love 40 first game of the fifth and I think if Zara would have broken there that, that he probably would have won the match we'll never know yeah. it wasn't safe but he was in a great position if he's up a break in the fifth because he'd been serving so beautifully in the third and fourth mm-hmm. and uh, but what I don't that's what's disappointing about him that one got away and you sort of sensed after that that he didn't really think he was going to win no. And yeah. uh, so I, I find that from his end, I, I find that a little disappointing. On the other hand, where I give him credit is we see we see him come so close at the U.S. Open last year. We see him bounce back and play well before mm-hmm. losing to Djokovic in Australia. And now we see a good French semifinals, one set away from the final. So he is in the thick of things all the time at the mm-hmm. majors. He did recover from two sets down in the first round and played some great tennis all the way up until Sitsipas and played some great tennis in that match. So I'm not that discouraged about him i think yeah. he'll get there he's got you know he, he he's got some improvement to make in the mental toughness and shot selection there's some areas where you could question him but i think he's at least he's been pretty solid at the majors now sits a yeah. i think oh, I, just really I, quickly though just, just yeah. going back I, I i do have to say it's a little bit uncomfortable covering him <laughs> the last six months especially after those um 
those allegations came out, it's just a little bit, a uh, little bit tough because on the one hand, you know, you have to be neutral and you have to obviously give your objective analysis and talk about his his game and it's you know it's trending in the right right direction obviously in the majors and he's he's still he's still up there no doubt as a top five top six contender but then it's it's tough given everything that's going on you know in his personal life I guess yeah it is it's it's a tough area to cover we we don't know enough and he doesn't get asked about it very much and and uh, yeah. there's gonna maybe more will come out uh it's a very it's a very complicated area, and I and I, yeah. I know reporters would like to dig into more deeply, but I I, I don't know if it's going to be possible. So I try to sort of uh, put that in a separate compartment, not forget about it, but try to just mm-hmm. judge him on his tennis, and he's handling himself pretty well on the court. Yeah. But you know, negativity strikes at the wrong times, yeah. and uh, he could well have been in the final. Now for Sitsipas, I, I think he did have a lot of poise in the fifth set because that match was getting away from him. And that had to be frustrating to be two sets up and it nearly got away. And then ironically, he's two sets up in the final and it did get away because he's playing an entirely different kind of opponent. But I thought that what was interesting about the final was, and I didn't understand this, Djokovic, uh, you know, in, in the first game of the match, I thought Tsitsipas was extremely nervous and he double folded and he was looking really shaky and there were mishits and Novak could not quite exploit it, had a few break points. All credit to Sitsabas to hold on with three aces in that yeah, game. That was, that was a great effort. And then they obviously went to 5-4, and then Novak saves the set point on his serve. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a, with a typically uh, obstinate stand of not missing and then angling a backhand cross court to force the error. And, and then he breaks in the next game. Yeah. But strangely, at the changeover mm-hmm. at 6-5, he's telling the umpire that he, 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 he didn't like the fact that the umpire, she had called a time violation warning on Sitsipas. And so it was very uh, unselfish of Djokovic because the case was not about himself. In this case, it was for both players, but he was, he didn't like the, 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 the call there. And he wanted her to cut both players more slack because they have to go get their towels, which are not where they usually are. And it, it's a, it's a valid point, but yeah. I didn't think it was a good idea at all for him to be wasting his emotional energy talking to an umpire about an issue like this, well, let, let, let Sitsipas at that point argue it. But you yeah. you got to be thinking about serving out the set because he did not play a good game at all when he served for the set. One of his worst, and that's not like him. Normally, he's very good at closing those sets. He gets an opportunity like that, and that could have changed the flow of the match significantly if Djokovic tucks it away. Then, f- t- great tie break because Djokovic is way down, 5-2, and he wins four points in a row and has that set point. And he had a great return and Sitsipas managed to just fend it off, you know, took it off his forehand and went inside in down that line and hit a winner. And it was a clutch play from Sitsipas. all credit to him to salvage the set after all that to do it from set point down. So yeah. Djokovic not only served for the set, but he had a set point later and Sitsipas refused to yield. And then I thought Sitsipas, it was second set somewhat predictable and that Djokovic was a little emotionally down and maybe from the fall that he had taken, there was some talk later that it kind of threw him off a bit, took that fall near the net. He wasn't serving quite right in the second set for a while. And hmm. uh, But I did think that from the moment that Djokovic broke for 3-1 in the third, that Sitsipas didn't have any answers. And I never thought he had any answer for Djokovic's kick. So the first serve kicker to his back end in the ad court, and he couldn't do much with that at all. And either either he, he would, the return most of the time would come back pretty short and Djokovic was in control. Sometimes he couldn't get it back at all. But I, I think he was at a loss to figure out a plan B once Djokovic lifted his game again in the third. Did, did you see it that way? I, I, I did, actually. And I was surprised by the number of people that were counting Djokovic off after the first two sets. Because yeah. I, felt like, I felt like even though it wasn't a great set from, from Djokovic, I still felt like he was well in the match. And oh, yeah. He, he was still moving, you know, not moving as well as he was for sure in the semi, but he was, he was starting to find his groove again. And I, I did feel like that one, two game was extremely crucial because Tsitsipas had 40, 15. And these are the kind of yeah. points that you don't see in highlight reels. You don't see in, uh, you know, you don't see in like hot shots or you don't, they're not often talked about enough, but it's just that one little blip. And he, he, he kind of senses that doubt from his opponent. And yeah. then he, then he, he smells blood and he's, it's just, it's over after that because you feel like, you know, A it long- could be just, Long, hard-fought game after 40-15, and it, Djokovic yeah. got the break. I think six deuces. It was a great effort. And, it was and, a great uh, effort because he went into this kind of lockdown mode where he just refused uh, to miss. 
And Tsitsipas began to doubt himself ever just so slightly. And that's all it takes, these small margins. And then once he got the break there, I I totally agree. He kind of just, Tsitsipas had no answer to that backhand to the, the, the kick serve was doing a lot of damage from Djokovic's side. And then also the first strike tennis, I felt like the forehand, he was starting to accelerate through the court a lot more. Much better. Yeah, no, he totally playing the match on his own terms, which he wasn't doing, you know, in the second set. He was able to hold serve so comfortably and yeah. put the pressure on Stefanos. That made a big difference that, you know, he would breeze through his service games. You know, in a sense, it reminded me a bit of the Berrettini match because early on, Novak was struggling and saving those three break points in the first set. Then after that, the holds were, for the most part, quite easy. And when that's happening, then he's suddenly staring you down the face from 78 feet away, ready to try to break you. It, it, it It's not easy. And Tsitsipas... Had a very difficult time holding. Then I thought another big game was the third game of the fourth set. Djokovic had already yeah. broke the first game. When he got that second break for three love, I had the feeling then, you know, he's going to be unstoppable now because there was no way he was going to lose that set. And it was going to carry him into the into the fifth set with a lot of momentum and confidence, which it did. And sure enough, he got the break. He could have broken in the first game, but yeah. he got it in the third, and then he kept it going from there. The other I- game that I thought was interesting, Bunch, was the last yeah. one. Because that was the only time Novak had any struggle on his serve. No break points, but it went to 40-30, and then Tsitsipas hits the back-end winner down the line. Novak had played a couple of tight points earlier, missing the backhand volley, drop volley, and the backhand cross-court from the baseline. And, and yet, he never was behind in that game. It was always 15-love, 30-15, 40-30 ad, and he finally got it done. And uh, I thought it was a very disciplined, determined match that he played. And you're right. He, he proves you right in a sense that he, there was, there was, there were physical reserves. Yeah, he was a little. Yeah. I think he was more emotionally down in the second set because he knew that he'd had a real opportunity. He, that he probably shouldn't have even been a tiebreak. That he probably should have served it out. Yep. So uh, he was still dealing with that a bit because you, you really want that first set, even in best of five at this level, it makes such a difference. Yeah, I think he was he was thinking about it throughout. There's no way it couldn't have been yeah. couldn't have been a factor certainly in the back of his mind. But I did yeah. think even after the fourth set was over, I did kind of think like, you know, the fifth set could be kind of competitive because I still felt like, you know, maybe Tsitsipas has some reserves here too because, well, you know, but, he showed that in the, in the semifinal match. Yeah, and sorry then, and, then when, and then when he held serve uh, to go go up one love and he saved those two break points, I still, I still felt like Djokovic would probably take it in the end, you know, like in a, in a close uh, third set, like it ended up being like a 6-4 or 7-5. But I still felt like in that one-all game, um, you know, Tsitsipas didn't really have any answers to try to hit through Novak, so he was coming up with a lot more drop shots, and he hit one, one or two, couple, couple of, uh, couple of drop shots. He didn't execute quite to the point where they needed to be, and you felt like Djokovic was onto those plays, and he did a, he does a brilliant job, Djokovic, when he gets to those drop shots, and then yeah, the way, the way he closes it out, and then obviously his serve carried him through. Oh, but I no, thought it was, I thought it was impressive that at four two, when, uh, when Tsitsipas had those break points to go up double break. Well, um, that's what. I- that's exactly where I was headed. I mean, first he fends off the break points in the first game. Then he goes down the break. Then it can be over at 2-4, 15-40. And I had that long 21-shot exchange. And he, he played a great point to draw Novak in with the drop. And he ends up winning yeah. it with the volley. And, and then Novak was a little bit shaken by that because he would have loved to have gone to his chair at the changeover uh, up 5-2. On the yeah. other hand, he, he had a really easy love hold for 5-3. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that showed a lot of mental toughness from Djokovic that he ca- he put aside the disappointment of not getting the insurance break and just simply got a quick hold and put the pressure back on and got to deuce again on Tsitsipas' serve. So you got to hand it to Stefanos. Almost every service game in that fifth set was yeah. an ordeal, but he managed to keep it to one break and he even managed to make Novak work hard in the last game. That I was impressed with. I think that said a lot for uh, Tsitsipas as a competitor. Definitely. Yeah. He, he, he played great for his first slam final to, to, you know, to win those first two sets. And then, like you said, yeah, he was in every game after still down a break, but, you know, competitive right through and obviously the backhand winner and, you know, Djokovic really, really earned it. He was, he was one of the best, I'd say top three majors that he's won out of the 19, you know, I don't know where he would rank it, but I would say, you know, since, uh, you know, after the 2012 Australian Open and, you know, it's, well, it's going to be like in the top three. Yeah, I think sure. so. Because I think one day, you know, he's going to look back on the fact that he had the, the scare with Musetti. He's going to look back a, a little bit about Berrettini, but then he's definitely going to remember the Nadal match for historical reasons and getting him on that court in such a big match, beating him for the second yeah. time at the French Open. And then 
then to cap it off by coming from two sets down in the final, uh, <laughs> that that has to that's going to definitely rank high in his mind. It's not necessarily going to he's not necessarily going to say it's the very best tennis he's ever played, but it's one of the most gratifying victories he's ever had. And you know, he's had there's been a bunch of them in recent years. The Australian we talked about from earlier this year, even last year's Australian when he was two sets to one down in the final against Team and came back to win that was pretty special too. So he's he's uh, these last couple of years have been very yeah. rewarding for very gratifying wins for Djokovic of the majors. And they balance out some of the disappointing moments like the U S open of 2020, when he, he got disqualified. Right. And then, then the French final, when he got obliterated by Rafa to come back from those disappointments and start this year by winning the first two majors of the year shows you just how mentally mm-hmm. tough the guy is. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. And, on Tsitsipas's end, I mean, he played a he played a great tournament as well. And for him, you know, it was a great effort to get to the final because there was so much pressure on him. You know, with the big three and the top half of the draw, and you know, I, I you know, he did have some struggles along the way, like the Isner match, and then obviously, you know, even the straight set matches that he had against Krejnikov Busta and in the second round, those weren't easy either. And then I thought the match against Medvedev impressed me the most because even though that was a straight set match, it, it reminded me. I don't know what you think, but it reminded me so much of Team versus Medvedev. Oh. 2020 totally. US Open. It was like identical because the Couldn't first be set. Great sets both times. Both were straight, but both were very well played. Both were opportunities for Medvedev to win sets that he was unable to win. He was a break up in the third year. And, you know, I mean, yeah, the similarities were, were striking. And uh, it, it's frustrating for him to play that well and not even have a set to, to yeah. show for it. But yeah, absolutely, because he really fought hard in both matches. And you felt like, you know, he was right in there in both matches, but it wasn't good enough. Medvedev is still a little perplexing to me, though, because yeah. the, the, the obviously the match point underhanded serve was what nobody talked about with that was it wasn't just the underhanded serve. He comes charging in behind him. I didn't so, understand that. Yeah. Now sees him coming in and he's set up for his backhand and just easily it goes down the line for the winner. At least he should have stayed back behind that serve and given himself to maybe a chance to pass Stefanos. So that was crazy. But. No, he played he played some really good tennis. Sitsipas was way too good up to a set in three one, but then Medvedev really pushed had a couple of set points in the second set yeah. that he could have won. And one of them, Sitsipas got some pretty good fortune with a forehand that clipped the net cord and stayed true for him. And then the third set, Medvedev is is up a break midway through and and it got away from him too. So he could have won the won the second and third sets. All credit to Sitsipas for finishing him off, just as team did the same at the open last year. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt about it. I guess if we can look a, a little bit ahead to the grass and maybe, you know, before we can touch on touch on Roger here, because obviously, you know, not the comeback that he would have he would have totally wanted, I'd say. But it's all about, you know, building up for Wimbledon. And obviously that's been his main goal throughout the season. He's gotten eight matches. And now if you count Halle, the two matches he played there. But, uh, you know, definitely it was a great physical effort, I guess, to go through Istamin and then Chilich was playing pretty well. Uh, to to come through that in four sets and the the great third set tie break he played there and then you know the cope for match with no crowd and three tie breaks there and then to get out of that and then and then uh, you know curious to hear what you thought about the well, decision you said to pull out. Well. Yeah, you said it well, Vanch, to get out of that because that's basically yeah. what happened against Cupfer is that is that I mean it was his experience he he played pretty well but his experience prevented it from it could have even been five. You know, the guy had a, a breakup on him in the third set and 4-3 serving for 5-3. And Roger competed well and pulled it out. He did a nice job in the breakers. But I think, yeah, he was a little spent after that. And here's how I look at it. I don't think the Istman match took anything. I think Istman no. did not move well. And even Roger was saying after, he knew it was kind of the perfect opponent. Yep. Somebody who couldn't make him nervous. And it was just ideal way to start. Good win with Chilich, although it's not the same Chilich that we... It's not the Chilich who won the U.S. Open in 14 yeah. or who the one who played Roger in the finals of Wimbledon and the Australian. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, then – but no no, no getting around the fact that he did play a nice tie break and finished it off in four. It was a good effort. And then finally wins another match. Now, he came under some criticism which for pulling out. I, I, I don't think – first of all, this theory, some people mentioned why couldn't he maybe thought about going up and shaking hands before the match was over with in the third round, I don't, I don't see that. I, I, he didn't know yet for sure that he was not going to be in condition to play. I think he need, really needed to see how he felt the next day 
and look ahead to the potential for playing a Berrettini and say, am I up to this or not? So I don't, I don't think he should have been asked to deep. I don't only if you know you're injured at that moment. And it wasn't that way. This was more worried about re-injuring the knee. I don't think he felt injured at the end of the third round. So I think yeah. that was fine, but I then think his effort was not great against Felix Algarlisian. I didn't think he, yeah. he in the third set, he, you know, he was kind of fortunate to win the first when he was 1540 down twice. And then he won, he, he lost the second. And uh, for you know, he's four love down in the third and he loses at 6-2. And he said himself he wasn't happy about his negativity in the third set. So I was glad he was kind of honest with himself, knowing he had gotten, he had not competed as well as he should have. But I thought he really kind of really could have used four or five matches in Halley mm-hmm. to prepare for Wimbledon. Be in the, hopefully be in the semis at least and, and hopefully the final would have would have given him an, an emotional boost. It, 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 it could have done him a lot of good. He's not the beneficiary of that. So now it's gonna, he's going to come into Wimbledon still short of matches. And I think it's going to be very hard. Maybe the draw is kind enough that the first three rounds are not too difficult. Maybe. So I think the odds are, odds are heavier, Vonch, that he'll have a, a tough match or two in there, at least a four, maybe a couple of four setters, maybe not as easy a march through the early rounds as we're accustomed to seeing from him. And then once we get to the 16s and quarters, it's going to, then he's going to be up against potentially really quality opponents and it's going to get tougher and tougher. I, I yeah. mean, it would really surprise me. I guess I'd be, I'd be really impressed if he made the semis. I think more likely that he, he could lose 16s or quarters given his circumstances right now. And, and he commented again, Vonch, about how, you know, you're kind of not sure of your body. You're not sure what to expect. Yeah. You're not sure how you're going to feel. He said that in Halley. Yeah. When he keeps talking this way, it makes you think, okay, but you're not going to trust it more. You're not going to win because you're going to be afraid to go all out. That's a terrible position to be in. Understandable, but not, yeah. not what he wants. I mean, ideally, he would have started in earlier in the year and he would have kept going after the one hardcore tournament and kept playing, but he didn't feel up to that either. So it just tells me that physically things are still not entirely right. And I wonder, how does it turn around so fast? At Wimbledon, even though it's a place that with with wonderful memories for him and he can draw on that and be inspired and the crowds will be there cheering him on vociferously. But I I, I just think it's going to be a, a tall order for him to to get to the you know semi or a final. Yeah, that's my fair. That's a pretty fair assessment. I, you know, I would say reasonably I, I would have said like quarterfinals would have been like a, you know, yeah. a good goal, like just hold seed. And then maybe, you know, this is rather than this being the tournament that he's, you know, trying to win, this could be like a like the start of his season, you know, kind of like kind of like get him going to maybe, you know, play till this point, you know, next year. And then and then, we'll, you know, we'll see. But it's it's asking a lot because obviously he'll be 40 and then, you know, yeah. he'll, be, he'll be close to 41. And you're, you're and right. He like had- he's not in the physical shape. And especially that yeah. third set, it, it really did surprise me that his serve just completely went away, you know, and. And his uh, his reactions seemed a, lo- a lot more slow, yeah, a lot slow, more slower, yeah. and just. I think he's got. He also is going to have this tough decision to make about the Olympics as well. Bunch, is he yeah. up to that? Does he expect it to to go to the yeah. Olympics, come back, and gear up for the U.S. Open? Is that too much for him as well? So I'm not too he, sure he'll play it. Uh, to be honest, yeah, I'm not. Like, I'm not either. Uh, now he can he could console himself that he won the gold with Stan and doubles. So at least he has that. He'd much rather have one. But he also knows, the other thing he knows is it's still a long shot for him yeah. to be winning Olympic gold too. Maybe not as tough as winning Wimbledon or the US Open, but still a, a very uh, tough challenge. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then obviously, you know, best of three sets and then you play the, play the matches right. the next day. I feel like at least in the slams, he has a day off and he has the experience of best of five. And, you know, yeah. still on, on grass, there aren't that many players that are, you know, adept enough to, you know, take three sets off him. Maybe, you know, maybe, True, maybe but, this year. Like, but then the yeah. way guys play, you're going to get guys like Felix. There are going to be some that are going to just perhaps blow him off the court on a given day. And then yeah. they, they serve big and they find a few openings here and there to break his serve. And suddenly they come, they, they, they might get those three sets. You never know. Also, it's yeah. a little harder for him now at his age, getting the three sets for him. But, I, but look, I admire him for trying. And, and the, it, he's he's got to give it one more go, and he's got the, the the great memory of two years ago of having two match points in the finals against Novak Djokovic on his own serve. So we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see what we will see. Yep, that, that that pretty much sums it up. I would say you know 
just before we look ahead to Wimbledon, obviously with you know Queens finishing up and Halley now, I mean, who, who else do you really see that could be? You know, obviously Djokovic is a clear-cut favorite by some margin, but then after that, you know, it's like, you know, kind of who is the second? Like Berrettini has been playing pretty well, and you know, yeah. you know, I mean, there's like Umber has been doing well recently, and you have Felix, obviously, who's who you know can play very well on any given day, and where you know when his forehand and serve is working, and then. Yeah, Rublev. Rublev, yeah, Rublev is, is playing well too. He he looks better on the grass than I expected him to. So there's a bunch of yeah. guys that you feel like can play well, and we're, we're going to have to see the draw because yeah. I agree with you. You start from the premise that Djokovic is the clear favorite, and then you say, okay, who's who? Are the, who? Where's the toughest challenge coming from? Who has the next best chance? And you put a bunch of guys in that category, including Zarev, possibly. Yeah. It's a pass. I know he has had struggled on grass up until now, and people are critical of his backhand return on grass. But I think it's an adjustment he can make, and he's mm-hmm. he's got a, a very uh, fine first serve himself. And and what's great about him is he loves to come in. Come in. He's yeah. the most natural attacker of all these guys, and uh, the way he moves, getting to the net and around the net, is better than better than the others yep. uh, by by a good margin. So. I, I, I think you look at all those guys. Medvedev, I don't know. What do you expect from Medvedev? I, I think it's he, a bit hit or miss with him because I feel like he, if he can find it because the grass, you know, you would think, you know, he's not as comfortable moving maybe, but it's hard to tell because two years ago he wasn't, you know, the same guy like who, who went on that run. His run only really started after Wimbledon. But I also feel like with the lower bounce and maybe the, the cheap points he can get off the first serve, it, it should lend itself well to his game style. But I also think like he's, kind of an enigma and I didn't really like the first performance against Struff in Halle. Um, no, exactly. He should have won that first set. And so which, I just think it, it's, it's hit or miss. Which means that this one coming up uh, as we talk in Mallorca, that that tournament could be important for Medvedev. If he takes another uh, disappointing early round loss, it, it will definitely affect him because he, he psychologically, he, he wears his wounds more deeply than some of the others. And he, he either gets very cocky, as he did at the end of last year, and deservedly so, given the way he was playing, to win the big Paris Masters 1000, to win the year-end championships, to then go to Australia and get to the finals. That was a great stretch that was reminiscent of the summer of 2019. But then, then he goes off the boil on the clay, and then he suddenly decides he can play on the clay, and he did do well in Paris. But yeah. he could have used a nice follow-up. Uh, in the grass in Halley and 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 done something more there. Uh, he's got one more chance as we speak. He's got another chance to go to Mallorca and try to build some confidence for Wimbledon. So I think it, I agree with you. It could go either way. I guess I lean toward it not probably not happening for him in a big yeah. way. But but I don't rule it out. Yep, yep, totally agree. It'll be just fascinating to see the draw because it's it's hard to speculate without that in front of you uh, to be. To be completely honest, and, and look, I mean, Djokovic is playing in Mallorca as well. He's playing some doubles, so I think that'll right, at least right. help him get into the groove, even though and won't be too physical for him to play those perfect those idea. matches. It's perfect singles. idea. Would have been a terrible idea to play the singles. You know, he doesn't need that, but to get out there yeah. and double, work on his volley, and to just be out there on the grass having some form of competition to play some practice sets against all kinds of other guys. And that'll yeah. that'll be great. Uh, it's wise because it gets him gets him going on the grass right now when he really needs to, with Wimbledon around the corner. So I, yeah. I thought that was a great great decision on his part. I'm just impressed by his physical abilities at age 34 to play the matches he's playing and bounce back from them, and then just his court coverage. You know, I I don't think it's the same 2011 2015 Djokovic, but he has those when he needs it. Like he he has that ability to just to just uh, you know the clutchest player like I've I've ever seen. You know, and it's he's close just, enough. Close enough to where he was in 11 and 15. You're right. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, out of the three and, guys, uh, I'd say he's physically declined the least. Um, yeah. And so he has that working for him. And yeah, he has great recovering that, abilities. and Strengths. So there's, you know, there's certain strengths now that, that maybe he didn't have that. And in some ways he can serve better than he did then. And so the, the, he, he compensates. And then, of course, he's just... He's a, a just an, a, an amazing match player. And... Yeah and so mentally tough and so great in the clutch that he, he's calling on all of that right now. And the one thing I, I'm, I'm interested to see is you well remember 2016. Now, at that stage, he'd won four majors in a row, mm-hmm. and he was, again, halfway to the Grand Slam like he is now and had the shocking loss to Sam Query in the third round. 
don't see it playing out that way this time because I think he's, you know, he's he's had the benefit of, of the five more years of experience, and and he's also closing in on that that record that Roger and Rafa share with their twenty majors, and being only one behind them, he's so supremely motivated that I think this time he's going to, he's going to zero in on the task better than he did then. Plus that was a difficult thing having already achieved the, the over a two year period, four in a row. And it was hard, a little harder to keep going. Well, right now we're looking at two in a row and just going for the slam. So I, I expect him to, to things to be very different this time around for him. Yeah, I I totally agree. I don't see a situation like 2016, uh, you know, playing out when Sam Corey took him out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just think he's in the right frame of mind and it's Wimbledon is right around the corner. It's just 10 days away. I feel like he can just carry that with him. And, uh, you know, I'm and not to say that it won't, you won't have some kind of a challenge fourth round recorders or something like that, but you know, he, he backs himself and he has that, he has the the memory back to call upon and he's yeah. Even two sets to love down. He doesn't, he doesn't panic. So. No, well, the way I, the way I look at it, I mean, day in, day out, of all the players I've seen in, in, in recent times, you know, Rafa is the best day in day out competitor I've seen, but the yeah. best clutch competitor remains Djokovic. And mm-hmm. that's why, and that's what served him so well in, uh, in winning these majors, you know, and, and it, it was particularly important in this last one in the two comebacks, because I, I, I just think he showed his class and character and, it, and above all, he showed his poise under pressure. Yep, absolutely. Uh, this was great, Steve. A uh, lot of fun as usual. Great insight. And yeah, it was it was a pleasure. Thanks, Vanj. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. We'll do it again after after Wimbledon. Definitely. Yeah. Look, looking forward to the grass. Okay. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 